Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi FM. It is great to be with you here today. And last week we started off talking about getting ready for our seders. And I'd love to continue on that theme today as Pesach is just Two weeks away, actually less than two weeks. In fact, by this time in two weeks, you will already be past your first Seder. So it's really time to get into the mode of things and to be ready after all the preparation and anticipation. Pesach is almost here and it's time for the celebration. And with that in mind, my friends, I think we should talk more about getting ready, getting your checklists in order so you make sure you have everything that you need for your Pesach Seders and everything is ready. So we talked about using this time period for searching our homes for the chametz, for ridding ourselves. And it's not only chametz as in 11 products in a literal sense, but also we're talking about the unwanted character traits because the search for chametz should be one in which we are not only eliminating the forbidden foods that we're not allowed to have in Pesach, but it should also be a time when we work on refining our own character traits. And one of them that we discussed is the ego. We said that bread symbolizes, since it's inflated, is symbolic of the ego, which is something that oftentimes is somewhat inflated. Now, while ego and inflation arrogance is wrong, I would think that there still is a time and a place for that as well. Because think about it, where would this world be? What productivity would we have? What kind of success would there be in any industry if there wasn't some form of pride that people had, that people have in their businesses and everything that they do and achieve? So there certainly is place for a healthy dosage of ego. But I think before one gets to the ego, one first has to make sure that they have humility. So while it's important that one recognizes where pride is healthy and good, and it certainly is, but at the same time, one has to realize that we need to eliminate the chametz. We need to remove our arrogance, our ego, that perhaps during the year, maybe it is a time when we get a little bit fluffed up like the bread, which rises. And Pesach being actually the beginning of the year. Today is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That means it's the beginning of the month. Today is the day when the Jewish people were first commanded to be accountable for their time. And so we start off with guarding ourselves, guarding, protecting ourselves from that element of arrogance, of of chametz. And once we realize that we can be healthy in that way and have humility, we can be humble, then certainly from there forward, we're able to actually build up that pride in a healthy way. But for Pesach, the beginning, it starts off. Then we realize, well, for this little bit of time, we are going to, in fact, work on humbling ourselves. And I think, in a sense... There's a profound thought because we know that originally Pesach was about the Karban Pesach, Jewish people. In fact, if you read Josephus' account, he was like the Chai FM of his days. Josephus gave a report and in fact recorded what it was like being in the temple in Jerusalem 
how many people came from all over the world to on the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate Pesach and what it was like watching all the sheep being sacrificed and offered. It must have been one big braai. And what's very interesting about the carbon Pesach is that one had to consume it on a full stomach, which is very interesting because when it comes to Shabbos, we're supposed to actually, and the truth is for Pesach as well, have a hearty appetite. Part of the delight, the, enjoy, the, the enjoyment, the pleasure of Shabbos is that we're hungry and we want to enjoy a festive meal, all the gastronomic delights on Shabbos. Shabbos is a day to actually have pleasure. It's not in a gluttonous way, but it's important that we enjoy the Shabbos meal and that's why we don't eat on Friday afternoons, we don't eat a full body, so that a full meal, so that our body could experience the joy of Shabbos by having an appetite for the Shabbos meal, in a similar sense for Pesach too. But the afikoman, which we eat at the end of our Pesach Seder, is symbolic, is reminiscent of the Karbam Pesach, the Paschal sacrifice. And just as the Paschal sacrifice had to be eaten on a full stomach, so too, one has to be satiated before they eat the afikoman. In fact, the afikoman is your final dessert. We'll talk a little bit more about this as soon as we're back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here at 101.9. Hi FM, I'm your host Rabbi Ari Kiefman. We're getting ready and geared up for Pesach. Pesach is around the corner. It's galloping at a great speed towards us. And just by the way, if you don't have your Pesach plans finalized yet, we potentially have a few rooms left, certainly for the last days of Pesach, maybe even one or two for the first days at the Pesach retreat. So, if you are keen for an exciting Pesach away, where it is a pleasure without any pressure, and where there's gastronomic delights like we've been talking about, food galore all the time, as well as, besides for all the food that you can enjoy at the Pesach retreat, we have plenty of food for thought to entertain your mind, to stimulate your well-being and entertainment as well. So these are all important things to take care of on Pesach. And we said the original, original Pesach, when our ancestors were in the, in fact, before they were liberated from their slavery, from their bondage in Egypt, we know that it was a family celebration. So wherever you'll be for Pesach, whether it's at home with your family, don't feel bad, even if you don't come to a retreat, because... The truth is, the most important part about Pesach is to spend it with your family. I know that two, three years ago, we were all quarantined at home in isolation because of COVID. But the truth is, the very first Pesach, if we go back to before the Jews left Egypt, we learned that while the Jews ate their carbon Pesach, their lamb chops, the Paschal lamb, while still in Egypt, they were quarantined at home with their extended family. They weren't allowed to leave home the entire Eve of Pesach, because that night we know was the 10th plague. And there were no communal elements that year, just like we had in 2020. And although they were about to become a nation, I think it was very important for people to realize that there was something special and unique about their individuality. We had this in last week's Parsha, where we had a double portion, Vayakel and Pekude. While Vayakel, everybody gathers together, but Pekude, we also have to realize each individual is indispensable. Every single person makes a difference. It's about the people with whom we share the very same living space. Before we could have peace with the whole world, we have to get along with our own loved ones first and foremost. Nations tend to swallow up individuals. And that's why Pesach is very much a family-based 
a family-oriented holiday. And that message is very important, not only in 2020 when we were forced to be together, but even in times where we're not forced, that we could have the pleasure, the delight, the enjoy being with each other. And that's what the Pesach Seder is about. So before we broke for our commercial announcements, I was talking about the idea that when it comes to Shabbos, in fact, many people already now are actually not even, for example, getting eating matzah from Purim to Pesach. And the reason is to have a hearty appetite. So one, of course, wonders if that's the case, then why is it that we are not allowed that the carbon Pesach, the Afikoman which we eat at the as the as the dessert on Pesach night. And don't think at a retreat we're gonna serve just matzah for dessert. We'll have chocolate souffle and we will have plenty of sorbet and ice cream and fruit platters and all types of delectable delicious desserts. But the matzah will still be the final dessert, Afikoman, because it symbolizes, it recalls the carbon Pesach. So why is it that on Pesach, we have to eat the afikoman on a full stomach, just like the carbon Pesach was consumed when, one's, when one was completely satiated and not with a hearty appetite. And in a similar, a similar idea we could think about is in general the laws of Pesach. We're talking about that we're not allowed to eat chametz on Pesach because in a sense, chametz, which symbolizes our unwanted character traits, particularly egocentricity, narcissism, arrogance, then why is it that the rest of the year we could eat chametz if it is so dreadful and it represents the unwanted character trait of our ego? And how is it that we could eat chametz the rest of the year if ego's so off limits? Shouldn't it be off limits the rest of the year as well? And that's what I was hinting at, that the ego is basically a fact of life. In a way, we actually need our ego. Without the ego, would any of us really truly establish our businesses, our institutions, our organizations? You know, the Gemara tells us, I'm going to share a little secret about rabbis right now. Don't tell any other rabbi I told you this. But there's sometimes some animosity. I won't call it animosity, God forbid. Some jealousy, some envy, some some healthy competition amongst rabbis. And some rabbis sometimes get accused, God forbid, you poached my congregant from my shul. I personally believe maybe they'll throw eggs at me after this show, must have had a little lachaim before, is that congregants will go to a community, to a shul, where they feel that they connect with the rabbi. And if they don't connect with me, they're going to go to a shul where they do connect with the rabbi. So there is an element, it's called in the Gemara, kinat sofrim tarba chachma, that when you have this jealousy among scholars, it actually increases wisdom in the world. This ego, which is so important, which we say that on Pesach we only eat matzah because we want to eliminate the chametz, the ego. Yet, the rest of the year we do eat chametz. Today you can eat chametz. It's only on Pesach for eight days that you can't. Because although ego is somewhat antithetical to our ideal personalities, but we know that it takes pride in order for us to become who we are. What would the world look like if people didn't take a certain pride in what they do. When we look at it this way, we, we start realizing that ego, maybe it's not ideal, but it's something acceptable. It's a reality of life. So, therefore, the rest of the year, we engage with our ego. We accept our ego. 
In the Rebbe's words, when a person deals with chametz all year long, going about your work as you ordinarily do in this physical, mundane, corporeal world, with all of the distractions and influences, it's impossible to avoid any trace of ego. Right? And in fact, the ego helps us to succeed in everything that we do. Egos affect the life that God gave us. But when the year starts, on Pesach, I know it sounds a little confusing. Today is a miniature Rosh Hashanah. Today is technically a Rosh Hashanah. It's the beginning of the year. So we're at a new beginning, the beginning of months. And this is a time that we are working on our egos and saying, okay, I understand a healthy ego is good, but let's keep it in check. Let's let's work on it. So many of the mitzvahs that we do are exceptionally beautiful and very enjoyable. And think about it. On Sukkot, we enjoy perhaps good food, sushi, maybe scotch and cigars, as some shuls like to have. You can't do that on a Shabbos, but you certainly can do it on a Yom Tov. The, the serenity of, of Shabbos, the joy of just Yiddishkeit. And it's a good feeling. And living Jewishly has a lot of good perks. Lots of fringe benefits. But what I want to say is, we have to enjoy Yiddishkeit. And there's so much to enjoy about Yiddishkeit. And we have to realize that Judaism should not be a pressure. That's what we, we that's why we have a Pesach retreat. It's about Yom T- Judaism being a pleasure. And every mitzvah should really be a pleasure. It, there's fantastic benefits and there's so much to gain both spiritually as well as physically. You know, in shul, oftentimes there's, I know people who go to shuls just for the business deals that you could, the social networking. There's plenty of that that could happen at shul as well. And, all I'm saying is, maybe perhaps that's not the reason to go to shul, but there could be ulterior motives. You could fake it till you make it. There could be side reasons to go to shul, even if it's not, even if one's motive is not perhaps in the idealistic way of coming just to pray. You're allowed to play too, but there's a time and place for everything. So here's the thing. What happens if one week you're not feeling that connection? You're not feeling the joy of Shabbos? What if the kids took up all your energy during your, you know, whatever, the preparations, and you're kind of frustrated. And you just prefer, like during COVID, when you didn't have to go to shul. Some people think they're still in COVID. What happens if it's, what happens when, when perhaps this year's profit doesn't quite match up to a previous year's and you can't meet the same charitable, uh, contributions Budgetary constraints get in the way. What happens if you have to choose between helping a homeless person out without fanfare or sponsoring a big bracha and everybody joining in? And this is perhaps the lesson and message of the Korban Pesach where it comes in. It teaches us to remember that at the end of the day, sometimes we need to ignore the pleasure, the body, and remember the soul. What is the mitzvah really all about? Which is why we eat the carbon Pesach on a full stomach. We don't eat it to enjoy a nice braai. We do it because God said so. And that's why we eat a full meal before. And that's why today, customarily, in the order of the Seder, Afikoman comes after dinner.
And even though afikoman technically means dessert, it comes after dessert. It is the final item we eat. And I was still planning to go through the Seder, right? And if we can master that character trait and do whatever mitzvah comes our way regardless of how it makes us feel and manage to celebrate it with the same fervor and excitement, enthusiasm and passion as the mitzvah that we love to do, that's truly something worth celebrating. Ultimately, the goal of our divine service is to teach our body to celebrate the mitzvahs which is why we eat our Shabbos meal with a hearty appetite, which is why we will not eat a big meal on a Friday afternoon so we can enjoy Shabbos and all the pleasures of Shabbos. But as the body enjoys its Shabbos meal, how do we make sure that it's enjoying it for the mitzvah and not for itself? That's the message and lesson of the carbon Pesach. Because that's where we enjoy the soul, the soul of it. You ate a whole meal before. You're not eating the meat, or in our case, the matzah, just to enjoy meat or matzah. Even if you're full, you still eat the afikoman. By building our spiritual foundation on Pesach, by ignoring the body for that little bit, we're able to invite the body to be party to all of life's celebrations. And that is why, although year-round, we accept chametz. We entertain the ego. But on Pesach, no ego. Pesach is about the matzah. No chametz allowed. So with that in mind, take the time now to work on eliminating the chametz in our lives. To get rid of whatever unhealthy character traits in the spiritual sense. And maybe psychologically too. But physically speaking, we're talking about getting our homes ready, getting ourselves ready for Pesach. And the first and most important thing we said was to get rid of the chametz. The next thing we said, you remember three years ago when the hot button word was symptoms. Symptoms was on everyone's lips. Everyone was worried about the symptoms. But we know, as the word implies, it's not the symptoms that we were actually worried about. But that which causes the symptoms. Everyone was concerned about COVID, which is still, (coughs) excuse me, the timing for that, alive and well. It's around. And obviously the virus itself is not something that's observable. We don't know where one could catch it, God forbid. But even when somebody gets the symptoms, it's not, that's not the concern. The real concern is if it is going to affect us. And the truth is, while that idea was relevant to COVID, and while COVID might not be any longer, after three long years of it, the big idea any longer, we can certainly derive and glean a lesson from that in a positive sense. Because the basic principle of Kabbalah is that everything that happens in this world is actually only a symptom, a symptom of some sort of spiritual energy that has been unleashed in the higher spiritual realms. And this is true about miracles. When a miracle, such as the exodus from Egypt, our ancestors' liberation from their bondage and slavery, when that happened on the date of the 15th of Nisa, it's because there's a special supernatural divine energy that was present at that time. And the physical exodus was a symptom of that spiritual energy 
that was conducive for liberation and freedom that was present on that fateful day, or night actually. So that very same energy is actually present now as well. We are in that crunch time leading up to Pesach. And that energy is present. We need to tap into that energy. Those spiritual energies are here now. We are in the lead up to the exodus. This is the most opportune time for us to experience a personal emancipation from whatever form of slavery, particularly a slave mentality that we might have. That energy is here. It's here for the taking. We can tap into it. We can experience that liberation ourselves now. And so this is the time to get ready because that's the only way we could prepare just like our ancestors prepared. This is for us to do now. So that's why we have a Seder. What is a Seder? Reminds me, why do we use a Haggadah at the Seder to say the right words, right? It's not to commemorate. It is to reenact. We're not living history. We are tapping into an existing reality. You know that in Hebrew, there's no word for history. I think the closest, they, they say historia. The closest you get to it is zikaron. What's the difference between history and zikaron? Zikaron, probably more precisely, is translated as memory. Whereas history is his story, or maybe her story. Memory has me in it. I am part of it. So we're not just remembering, it's not the ancient story. We have to tap into this existing reality, into the symptoms, into the energy. An essential part of the Seder is a question we all must ask ourselves. In which area of my life am I lacking freedom? What are the unholy habits and addictions and problems and challenges and struggles that limit and enslave me and don't allow me to maximize myself, my soul, and to be who I can be? To understand that the Seder is the time when we can actually go free. The Jews in Egypt didn't have the power to go free on their own. They needed Hashem's divine assistance. And we too, if we don't have the power ourselves, then now is the time to tap into the divine energy. It's here. There are, yes, you can always, Hashem will always help you. But there are certain times that are more opportunistic than others. Just like in six months time will be Rosh Hashanah and it's an opportune time for teshuva. Now is an opportune time for freedom. The energy is literally in the air. It's here. And so, just as Hashem told the Jews to do certain things that would allow them to merit to experience redemption, and actually the very first mitzvah which they had was, today commemorates that exact day when God said this will be the first month's accountability for time. Who's freer? A person who has a schedule and responsibilities, or one who doesn't? Now while the one who has no responsibilities seemingly is freer, but we all know the truth is otherwise. It's our responsibilities that put us, that get us to do the things we need to get done. And so the Seder, which literally means order, helps us facilitate and get through each of the steps of doing it the right way. And I think I may have touched on that in the last episode last week, where we talked about, you know, certain aspects of life where you say, you know, imagine somebody told you there's a right way and a wrong way, but there is a right way and a wrong way. Your email won't reach its destination, nor will you try to make a phone call if you put in a wrong digit. If you're missing the dot, a little tiny dot, 
There's an exact order and system to how we do it. And that is true not only for emails and websites and phone numbers, but it is true for our Pesach celebrations. And so, in our remaining time, just after this commercial break, we will get right into some of the things we need to do, some of the key elements of our Pesach celebrations. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Hi, FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. Great to be with you here. And so, my friends, we are all seeing all the Pesach products on the shelves in the stores. And those who are not going to be part of a Pesach retreat, then you certainly need to do all the shopping now. And besides for all the good food, let's talk about some of the important things you need to make sure because... Besides for the products you need to buy, which are going to be in the shops, there's also an important thing is our hearts and souls. And that's what I was saying. We tap into the energy this time of the year. We prepare ourselves because God wants to have a relationship with us. We want it to be reciprocal. When God notices a sincere effort from us, God takes notice. And Hashem derives immense pleasure and God reciprocates. Even if we don't manage to have the best Seder in town, we have to do it the best of our ability. You've got to do your best. So let's make sure you have the key basics for what you need for your Seder. Don't forget the basics. You got rid of your chametz. We talked about that already. Well, how about matzah? Did you buy matzah? You got rid of your ego, symbolically speaking. Well, now you have to work on that humility. That's the matzah. Matzah, literally, you need to have matzah to eat at your Seder. The ideal matzah for you to get is handmade shmura matzah. Wouldn't you love to afford to drive a Bentley? Well, the matzah, the handmade shmura variety, is like the Bentley. It is handmade, handcrafted with heart and soul, and it is ideal, at least for the satyrs, to have handmade shmura matzah. The next is wine and or grape juice, obviously, if one is allergic to wine for health reasons or underage or don't like wine, then certainly you can have grape juice. And then, of course, all the items of your seder plate. So, what are they? Your two sets of maror, lettuce and horseradish. There's actually five kinds that can be used for the bitter herbs. Some people use endives and other items. You want your charosis. You want your simple things. A egg. You want a shank bone. You want the charosis. And the salt water, of course. So you got the basics for your Seder. Let's talk about the matzah for a moment. It's a mitzvah in the Torah, actually. A biblical commandment to consume matzah on Pesach. The Jewish people, there are two symbolisms of the matzah that we commemorate. Number one is that our ancestors prepared dough on the night of the Exodus. But they were rushing to leave Egypt. And they left in such a hurry with such faith in Almighty God that they didn't have the time to wait for the dough to rise. That's one reason. And when they reached their first stop outside of Egypt, they quickly baked this unleavened dough into matzah. But there is another element to the matzah as well. It is also called lechem oni. It's the poor man's bread because when the, besides for the cost of it that might make you poor, jokes aside, is the idea that when they were slaves in Egypt, that's what they were given to eat. But I think at its core, if you think about the simplicity of matzah, it's exclusively flour and water. That's it. It's prepared and baked at such great speed within 18 minutes, high temperatures to prevent the dough from rising, from leavening. And we need three of these matzahs at least for each of our seders. 
Of course, it depends how many people you're going to have with you. You definitely need more than that. But at least to have three hand-baked Shmura matzahs. And the advantage, Shmura literally means that it was guarded, it was protected, it was watched from the time that the Mishatz Katsira, from the time of harvesting. And in order to prevent it from coming in contact, the wheat with any water, and that's the ideal of the Shmura matzah. So it's handmade and circular. The reason why the machine-baked matzahs are square was in order to differentiate, actually. It was a compromise that was made in Europe some 150 years ago or more when there was a major controversy with the rise of the machine matzah. Machine matzahs actually started in the early 1800s in the industrial during the era of the Industrial Revolution, there was a Singer family, a guy by the name of Isaac Singer. I think he founded the first sewing machine, Jewish man, and he decided then to invent the matzah baking machine. The first versions weren't as sophisticated as the later ones. And because there were many, many questions about the usage of it, there was a, it was, they, they, it was determined that they would make the machine matzahs square because there's less possibility and potential for the machine to become chametz. When it's round, you have to understand that too much of the dough can get stuck in the crevices and between the gears and different parts of the machine that can get stuck there and heated up to, at these great temperatures within the machine that can cause it to leaven. But if it is squared, then that concern was alleviated. Anyways, ideally to have circular, handmade, Shmura matzah, at least for your Seder. We spoke about getting wine or grape juice. We mark every Shabbos and holiday by reciting Kiddush, which declares the uniqueness of that day. And our sages enacted that we make this declaration over a cup of wine specifically because it's a prominent drink and it lends a sense of importance to what we're doing. And the same on the Seder, the sages enacted, not only do we make Kiddush, but we actually drink four cups at four different intervals throughout our Seder in order to remember the four expressions of redemption of when God emancipated our ancestors from Egypt. And God said to the Jews before taking them out of Egypt, the Haitsesi, I will extract you, I will take you out from the bondage in Egypt. The Hitzalti, I will rescue you. Vigaalti, I will redeem you, Vilakahti, and I will take you to me as a people. Well, seemingly each of these are, you know, just seemingly adjectives or other words for the same, you know, different words meaning the same thing. But the truth is, each of these expressions are actually unique in their own way. Each one is telling us another message about the redemption that God was telling our ancestors. That the first order of things was that God would bring us out. We need to leave behind that slave mentality. We need to focus on focus. How could I break from that cycle of defeatism, of feeling that that things are impossible? I have to tell myself, I'm possible. I can make it happen. The second expression of redemption, God says, I will save you. God's salvation comes, I am with the blink of an eye. So the second cup is symbolic. Remember that second expression, how we can constructively foster that faith, that 
that amuna, that trust in God, and not get distracted by the seeming realities of life. And there are so many that seem to pull us in all different directions. The third expression, Vigaalti, I shall redeem you. It's about redemption. We need that paradigm shift, recognizing that redemption is real, that whatever trouble, difficulty, sorrow we might be enduring, that indeed redemption can come. And finally realizing God considers us His. God says, I will take you. When we're able to realize that, that we are God's cherished people and we're indispensable to God's plan for this world. The fact that we exist means this world cannot be without us. God needs us here, every single one of us. God says, I will take you to me. And so the four cups are symbolic of those four expressions of the redemption and also, very interesting, if you like gematria, you know, there is a gematria, uh, yayin, which is wine, is a gematria of 70, and the word kos, which is a cup of, cup of wine, kos is a gematria of also, of, sorry, of 60, 70, 86, 86 and 70 is 156, and four times 156 is 624, which is the word cherut, which means freedom, in case you like some numerical numerology called gematria. But I want to share with you another deeper uh, meaning of, of the matzah and wine dynamic that I think is important for us to keep in mind. You know, as thinking human beings, we, we attempt to understand and appreciate the things that we do. And this applies, of course, to our Judaism as well. We want to appreciate everything we do. And the wine symbolizes the idea of appreciating something. Wine is something we could taste, we could savor, we could appreciate. You ever hear a wine connoisseur talk about the volume and the flavor and all the other? I can't, I'm not, I'm not connoisseur myself, so I can't give you all those expressions. But the point is, they say there's a hint of this fruit and that fruit. You know what I'm saying. On the other hand, matzah. Matzah is simple. It's, it's like we call it lechemoni, poor man's bread, because it's just simple flour and water. It was the, it was the, it was the staple of slaves. So, it's very simple to make. You don't have to be careful. I mean, technically, we do have to be careful, but that's why we make it within 18 minutes. But the point is, there's nothing complex about its taste. And this symbolizes another element of our relationship with God. When we don't taste, we don't appreciate it. We don't understand. Ultimately, Judaism needs to have both elements. We can't only celebrate our Judaism in a way that's limited to what we like, but we can't limit it to just following orders by rote. We need both an element, a, a synthesis, a collaboration of both faith, the simplicity, that's why matzah is bread of faith, and appreciation like the wine. Both components are important. So at the Seder, we have both elements. There are parts of the Seder we understand. There are other parts that are bizarre, but we embrace both aspects. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Hi FM, could you believe it? The time is flying so quickly. And just like the time is flying right here in the studio and on this show, the time is flying. Pesach is almost here. So get that shopping done. There's so much to do. There's so much to get ready. And I'm not only talking about the shopping in the stores. I'm talking about shopping in our own spiritual upliftment and elevation. And so... Let's look at the other items that we talked about getting for your Seder. We talked about the matzah. We talked about the wine. We talked about getting rid of the chametz. We talked about the ego and humility. Let's talk about your Seder plate because the Seder plate is like the centerpiece of your Pesach dinner. 
And some of the items that we place on the plate, such as the egg, are universal customs. And others vary according to various communities, maybe even families. And so there are various customs. And I recommend you follow what your family's custom is. Of course, there are differences between Ashkenaz and Sephard and Chabad and there are lots of rich, beautiful customs. Follow your family's customs. I'll just talk about some of them. Maybe I shouldn't even talk about the place where they're put because that might confuse you if your custom is different. So let's just talk about those specific ingredients. And let's start with the two cooked items that are on top of the Seder plate. We have the Zeroa and we have an egg. What are these to commemorate? Actually, the two main dishes that would have been consumed during the Temple era the Korban Pesach and the Korban Chagiga. The Korban Pesach was the Paschal lamb that was sacrificed, that was offered, that was bride on Erev Pesach. And then there was the Korban Chagiga, the festival offering, which was cattle or sheep. Now, the the cooked egg represents the Chagiga, the festival offering. Why specifically an egg? Well, an egg is roundish. Some people will say that the egg is excellent and tastes good with the salt water, but the salt water itself is bitter, like tears. And maybe the reason we dip it in there is because we're in somewhat a state of mourning. You know, a mourner eats the egg because the egg symbolizes the cycle of life. And so it is at the Seder plate reminding us that we miss our holy temple, reminding us of the exile Oh my goodness, these puns that we acutely feel the absence of our temple on this night. So we dip it in the salt water and we feel the bitter tears that our ancestors perhaps experienced under the whip of their taskmasters. And we also feel the bitterness of our own exile. These ra'a, there are different customs of what people use. Ra'a literally means an arm, and that represents the Korban Pesach. It's a roasted piece of meat, or in the Chabad custom, it is a chicken um, neck. Others might use a shank bone. Whatever it is, that is just to look at, not to eat like the egg. And that reminds us of the Korban Pesach. In the middle of your Seder, we have the Mara, the bitter herbs. And that actually is of biblical origin. The Torah itself says, Two biblical commandments there, to eat matzah on Pesach and to eat bitter herbs, Mara. Because already in Egypt, when the Jews celebrated their first Seder on the night before they left Egypt, they were told by Moshe to eat that matzah with Mara. And certainly, no doubt, it added flavor and taste to their lamb chops. You know, you can imagine the relish. You put the lamb inside your matzah. Back then, it was more like a lafa. With the maror, it must have tasted great. So this all this all symbolizes the redemption. We remember the tears, the bitterness, but we also remember that we're free. And the Mishnah lists five different herbs that can be used as maror. So whatever your particular custom might be, I mentioned endives. I don't see endives here in South Africa. I don't know why. But romaine lettuce and ground horseradish certainly are around. People wonder what is it, what's bitter about romaine lettuce? It's not, it doesn't taste bitter. You know, Caesar salads and uh, Greek salads, they all have romaine lettuce. But it's not because of that. Actually, if romaine lettuce is left unharvested, then it could become bitter. And the same thing applies and applied to the story in Egypt. While they were originally invited as royal guests 
relatives of Joseph, the viceroy of all of Egypt. But eventually they were forced into bitter slavery. And the same thing happens in our own life today. That sometimes we do things, and we think it starts off lekka, it's nice, it's good. But if it's not the right thing, while it starts off sweet, unfortunately it can, it can become very bitter. I want to conclude with the, with the bottom items on the Seder plate where you have the charosas, which is actually sweet. And the charosas commemorates the thick mortar that, in, that the enslaved Jews were forced to use in Egypt when they labored and built the cities and the pyramids for Pharaoh. And so the various ingredients, different customs, but it is in a sense sweetening the bitterness. And we also have the karpas, which is any vegetable. Some people use potato, onion, parsnip, whatever it might be. And that is also dipped into salt water. And we'll talk more about that symbolism and the Seder itself, please God, next week. Until then, we remind you to... What do we always say here? Got to remember, aspire to inspire before you retire so that you don't expire. Ladies and gents, thank you for joining us here today on Soul to Soul. Carpe diem. Have a great Shabbos.